Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. Deciding to sell your business can be difficult. You founded it, grew it, lived with it every day. Face it, it's your baby. Dave Neighbor talks about three things you should consider. I'm Patrice Sikora. So Dave, how does selling a business compare to selling a house? Well, both are assets, so they have that in common. For most people, selling a home or buying a home is the biggest financial decision you'll ever make. Uh, business owners take that concept and just magnify it in every way. Certainly the financial component is a piece of that, but there's emotional components to that. There's other people to think about. So uh, I'm really excited to get together today and talk about the things that I think uh, should be top of mind for someone considering selling their business. I think you have two most common hurdles you want to talk about. Yeah. So, uh, you know, leave it to the financial planner to say, hey, we have some financial <laughs> things to talk about today, but I think there's some other uh, kind of hurdles just to kick things off with. But I think the first thing I would share and something I've seen that's been common throughout the businesses that I've worked with to be sold or acquired is making the business run without you. And mm. by you, I mean the founder. Um, and it's pretty obvious. None of us wake up and say, hey, I want to make myself obsolete today. But the fact of the matter is a business that can be run independent of its owner, its founder is far more valuable to a buyer than one that requires the founder to be there every day. And, mm -hmm. you know, wearing the hats of chief financial officer and HR, solving HR issues. Doing the time cards, the Say, yeah. payroll. There's 50 different dimensions that go into it. So when I think of a business owner, it's there's a lot of power in figuring out how to make yourself obsolete in as many areas of those you know, day-to-day -day business functions as you can. And the better that you do that, the more valuable the business is going to be to a prospective buyer. Well, that makes sense because they don't want to come in necessarily and have you hanging around. Yeah, exactly. And, and be reliant on you. And we all have an expiration date. That's uh, one thing we can't avoid. And the fact that a business could run without you just becomes that much more valuable to the buyer. You know, there's a certain wiring that I think is inherent in all entrepreneurs. And I mean, you have to be a little bit different to not take a salary and take the safe path and wake up and think, you know what, I'm going to do this myself. I can do it better myself. I can work harder than others. I can come up with a better idea than others. So kind of that natural DNA doesn't necessarily align with what I'm saying here to make yourself obsolete. So uh, some business owners do it better than others. Here at Foster and Motley, I think of Dave Foster and the incredible job he did with having a trusted team, knowing that the team would take care of our clients and that he could pursue his own retirement goals and sell the his portion of the business to others. And I just really respect the foresight that that takes. I think it proved to be good for him. I think it proved to be great for his clients to have that kind of continuity within the firm. So when I think of examples, I'm really proud and very fortunate to have seen that with Dave and other colleagues here at Foster and Motley. And you mentioned emotional 
components to selling a business. And I think that reflects one of the biggest ones. The, the business is yours. It's part of who you are, your identity, and you're I, leaving it. Yeah, absolutely. You spend a lifetime growing it. So the ability to let someone else have the keys and run it, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's a really important hurdle to capturing the full value of a business. All right. So what are some other things? Um, you know, tying back to how we kick things off with owning a home, selling a home, selling a business, some of the key attributes of similarities there. I think it's important that you are honest, you being the business owner, that you're honest with yourself about what the warts are on your business. And every business has them. You know, the skeletons in the closet and someone that's looking to buy your business is going to find those very fast. So if I tie back to the home, you know, if I put my home up for sale, I'd say, Hey, all these attributes are great. I've put money in, I've refinished this. I did all these great things. The landscaping is new. You know, what's the buyer going to see? They're going to see that my bathrooms look great back in 1990. And okay, I don't like the paint color, but I can fix that. And I don't like this and that. And a business is the exact same thing. A, a buyer is going to come in and discover what the warts are, and they're going to look to give you less value for the business because of those issues. So the business owner that's willing to surround themselves with advisors that are willing to call those issues out um, help them solve for those issues that are going to make their business less valuable, I think is much better served than the one that acknowledges, yeah, there's problems, but let's go find out what the market's going to tell us. So the more time you can spend fixing those issues with your business, perhaps it's hiring the right person. There's a lot of different avenues that that can take on, but I think you're well served to identify those things and fix them before you take your business to market. And this kind of brings up the question, most of these fixes are not going to be quick. So how far in advance should you start planning for the sale of your business? Uh, today's the best day and tomorrow's second best. And, you know, this goes not just for selling your business, but what happens if something happens to you? Uh, sure. What if you're disabled? What if you pass away? What does it mean for your family and the, your ability to continue to run that business? So uh, both these concepts of making yourself as irrelevant as possible as soon as possible and knowing what the major issues are and the fixes that you could have to your business are um, important. So you're going to sell. What are you going to live on once you sell your business? Yeah, that's a great question because, well, there goes the profits you've been living on up to this point. So it becomes a, a different proposition. It's I think we can all relate to selling a business. I get a lump sum of cash and now I have to invest that to produce my new income stream. Uh, that's not any different than a retiree that has a 401k and has been in save, save mode and now needs income off that 401k or off that brokerage account. With a business owner, though, it gets a little bit more complex than that. And a lot of that comes down to how are you going to sell the business and what kind of cash flow are you going to receive? You know, we would all love a cash payment up front and we just walk away. Well, what kind of buyer is going to want to pay 100% cash and have you walk away? Um, earnouts are a very common feature when selling a business that will give you some cash up front, but we need this business to produce the profits that we think it's capable of. And therefore you participate in that risk in the future. Um, internal succession that brings up a whole other issue of, are you going to get a bank to lend the buyer the money hmm. to in turn pay you? 
right? And so if you did an internal succession with a 40-year-old who's super sharp and they're going to buy the business from you, they can't typically just go to the bank and get some big yeah. multi-million dollar loan to deliver that cash to you. So um, it's kind of a long-winded way of just saying there's a lot of different paths to um, to receiving that cash and seldom is it all up front. So I think it's really important to understand those cash flows and how they align with your financial goals and mapping that out before you sell. Because the hardest conversation is someone comes to Foster and Motley and says, hey, I've got 5 million bucks in my pocket. And you're like, wow, that's a ton of money. Uh, but I also have two homes and I have a boat and my kids are going to the most expensive schools. And all of a sudden, $5 million doesn't seem like it's going to go that far. So having those conversations up front on knowing how much you need from the business to continue your lifestyle and acknowledging the different types of risk that you may take on, whether that's an earnout or whether that's, um, you know, dif different cash structures is going to really impact your lifestyle and your ability to be financially independent without earning a salary and earning the profits from the business. What about if the, the business owns real estate, like a, a, a factory, a, a warehouse, uh, offices? Yeah, uh, oftentimes those assets can be treated separately. So the business has some sort of inherent value and real estate is a little bit easier to understand the value that it carries. And so I've seen a lot of business owners really effectively pull the value from those things differently. So it may be that you sell the business upfront, cash and earn out, whatever that may look like, but you retain the building and you earn a rent on the building. And I think that tends to work really well from a cash flow perspective to give someone the confidence that hey, for the next 10 to 15 years, I have this kind of steady income coming in and I can learn how to live off the, the purchase price of the business. Right, but the downside is managing real estate. <laughs> well, yeah, the party eventually ends. It's fun for the first five to 10 years, then you need to repair a roof and the right. tenant's not happy with something. So I'm not saying it's a forever solution, but I think it does help entrepreneurs to gradually step into being independent of the business. Now you're a business founder, but you've brought in people along the way. You've got stakeholders. What do you do then if they don't want out? One of the difficult parts for a business owner is you have to keep your circle pretty tight. Uh, and by that, I mean, you're not telling everyone, hey, we're for sale. Yeah. Because for every business sale that we see, there's 10 that started and didn't get finalized. So typically you have a very small circle of people. Uh, that know what's going on, that are vetting buyers, that are responding to the due diligence request from the buyers. So frankly, it is a uh, oftentimes a, a gut reaction to what that buyer is going to be like for your employees. Uh, it's no secret when you sell a business, the acquiring company, company could say, hey, we're going to get value because we don't need another accounting office and we don't need more compliance and all these back office functions primarily that you have could be eliminated. And as a business owner, you don't want to see that happen to your employees. So a key part is just understanding the culture of the buyer and seeking the best, most likely successful cultural fit for you. Or if it is going to involve cutting people, mm -hmm. being real with yourself and knowing that that's a, a 
real potential issue that's out there. And what about the customers? <laughs> it doesn't get any easier, Patrice. The employees are tough. Customers, that can be tough too. A lot of times you've worked with these people for decades. You've built the trust. You've developed strong relationships. And going to them and saying, hey, I sold my business, that can be a pretty gut-wrenching experience. You know, Hopefully it's the right buyers, I said, and the right culture that's going to treat your customers the same way that you treated them. Um, but it, it's difficult. And like I said, when you have a small group of people, you're never going to know that you have the perfect solution. Uh, but I think it is equally, just as it's the buyer interviewing the seller, I think it's equally important that as the seller, you're interviewing that buyer for their culture and being very clear on you know, how they're going to make this work. Is it cutting employees? Is it focusing on different customers, whatever it may be? There was a car dealership, a very large car dealership, not far from where I am located. He sold several big family of dealerships, sold, ended up coming back and buying it back because the reputation, his name was still on it. The reputation was going downhill for the way the new owner was treating customers and employees. And the old owner came back. Have you seen that? Yeah, I think it's more common than not. I've heard of several instances. We've seen it with clients where that's happened. Yeah, that's a, a, a real risk. Hopefully for that auto dealership, they were able to get it back on the ground. And Oh, they did. You know, yeah, they did. Good. Yeah. All right. So, well, that's leading us into, I guess, the emotional decision again. Here, it is a hugely emotional decision. It is your identity. And in this one case, they he did not feel that his legacy was being well taken care of. But what about, how do you prepare yourself for this? Or do you? Or do, is it a shock for most people that they have to do this? Or talk to me about that. Yeah. You know, the emotional side of selling a business makes the financial side look like a piece of cake. Yeah. You're going to have to decide how big your circle is. Uh, for most folks, that involves your spouse. Um, and what I would makes... hope. I would hope. So. <laughs> Hey, you'd be surprised, <laughs> but you know, it's, it goes so far beyond the financial side. It's to your point, it is your identity. It's what you've known. It's something you've grown, but what are you going to do in your days without that business? You know, it's great to golf. Does that become your job? For some people it's becomes mm -hmm. like a, almost a job. You're just another uh, person in the golf group, you're no longer the boss. So you have to come to grips with the fact that you're not going to be the boss. Uh, I've seen a lot of spouses say they have an extra boss in the household after the business sold that is not a welcomed guest and needs to find something else to do for lunch. Um, so <laughs> it's uh, it can be really difficult. And I've seen clients that you know, got some negative feedback from folks, from customers where they were being treated different. Mm -hmm. I asked one client, you know, what's the hardest part? Is it missing the day-to-day -day work, the colleagues that you worked with? And they said it was the negative feedback from some of the customers that they weren't being treated the same way. And so there's a, a big time emotional toll that goes into that. So as we wrap this up, Dave, selling a business is a team effort, but why don't you put a bow on it for us? 
Yeah, it is a team effort, Patrice. It needs to be a, a relatively small team surrounding yourself with trusted advisors, those that can be candid with you and share some things that maybe you don't want to hear, uh, but things that can improve the value of your business. At Foster & Motley, we've had the great fortune to work with a number of business owners and coach them not just through the obvious stuff like money, but the less obvious stuff like emotions and uh, key stakeholders, customers, and employees. And, you know, here at Foster Motley, I'm a business owner too. And so while no two businesses are alike, uh, I can empathize with clients about the many dimensions that go into operating a successful business. I can learn about running our company better to look to the future so that um, you know, we're serving our clients for generations to come in the best way possible. So it's an honor to work with business owners, um, those looking to sell. And I would say if anyone is interested in learning more, we would love to connect. The best place to find out more about Foster and Motley is our website at fosterandmotley.com. Fantastic, Dave. Thanks so much. And if you, listener, found this information useful, please subscribe or follow the podcast Tell us you've followed and subscribed to the podcast and don't forget to share with others. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Keep in mind that rules and regulations are subject to change. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.